Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. All right, we're going to do a little uh, exercise, not like calisthenics exercise, just a little uh, a little exercise here. So I want you to cup your hand. You can do this because, I'm only, I mean, only legally if you can drive with one hand and you're driving. But otherwise, just like take one hand and make a little cup out of it. You know what I'm talking about, like, right? So that it's like a little, like a little dish. Can you make, can you cup your hand? Do you know what I, it can, if you're with a child and they don't know how to cup their hand, like we know how to put our two hands together and cup them like we're going to bend down and fill them up with water like a cup. But I just want you to cup one hand because God only needs one hand to have the whole world in the hollow of his hand. Just just think about that for just a moment. So for you and I, it would be like setting a little marble in the middle of that cupped hand. Can you visualize that here for just a moment? Can you visualize setting a marble, maybe one of those really pretty ones that kind of looks like uh, the world. It's a little green. It's a little blue. It's all got those swirly lines in it. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? So I want you to visualize that marble in the hollow of your hand, in, in your cupped hand. And now I want you to consider that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Just a little perspective this morning when you think that... Um, when you think things are either out of control or issues are too big or, you know, God's not in control, there you go. Just cup your hand. It, it just, you know, you can do it under a table, under your desk. Anytime today that somebody says or does something that leads you to wonder whether or not it's spinning out of control, you can just knowingly cup your hand, visualize that little marble and be like, God has got this. And God's got me in the midst of it. One of my... um practices. My spiritual growth strategies this year is to use Trevin Wax's Psalms in 30 days. And so I want to lift up Psalm 8 this morning. Lord, because by the way, it's January the 8th, if you hadn't looked at the calendar yet this morning. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty From the mouths of infants and even nursing babes, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember us, a son of man that you look after us? You made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and the oxen, all the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, everything that passes through the currents of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I'm hoping that leads you to just spontaneously worship God. Glory 
be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever, world without end. Amen? Amen. Part of this rhythm is, uh, part of this rhythm of um, the practice of being in the Psalms is to connect us to believers who've gone before us, to connect us to the reality that this storyline um, has a beginning and it has an end and it has a main character and it is not us. This is, this is actually not uh, our story. This is history. This is his story. So how is it today that God is going to be, you know, the main character? God is going to be the one driving the narrative forward. He's going to be superintending your life in such a way that you see yourself, not only as his image bearer, but as his agent of grace, his child, his ambassador, his kingdom ambassador, his priest, the one who stands to inherit the very kingdom of heaven. The one over whom God is singing today. That's you. That is you. Yes, God's got the world in the very hollow of his hand, but he has you in his heart. Your name is the one he has written. Do you experience that today? Do you experience God as the one who has not only made you in his image before the foundations of the earth conceived of you in his heart of hearts? And then, yes, knit you together in your mother's womb. Do you recognize that you're fearfully and wonderfully made? And maybe you don't feel like um, all the birds of the air and all the fish of the sea and every animal in the wild and all sheep and oxen are under your management. Maybe you don't feel like anything is under your management. Well, God has given you the breath in your lungs. He's given you this day that he has made. He has given you creation in which to live. He has given you the knowledge of his grace in the person of Jesus. He's given you a physical life. He's given you a body. He's given you a voice, an opportunity. So God has the whole world in the hollow of his hand. Does he have you there as well? As a person submitted to his will, as a person acknowledging that God is God and that he is good? Back to our Growing Your Faith verse of the day from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. My friend, trust in the Lord today with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God. Acknowledge him. Act in the knowledge of God and he will make your path straight. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Joining us next is our friend Elizabeth Newman. We're going to talk about a little bit about what's going on around the world and right here in the United States of America as we bring the mind of Christ to bear on the issues we face in this day. Joining us now is our friend Elizabeth Newman. She's a security analyst. She works with the Moonshot Group and the National Immigration Forum. Good morning, Elizabeth. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Carmen. 
So um, on January the 6th of 2024, I was uh, busy at a 10-year-old birthday party. So if um, if anything happened in regards to the anniversary of January 6th, 2021, I might have missed it. Uh, is, is there anything I need to know? <laughs> you know, Carmen, I was still on the beach. So, uh, so I this, was... This uh, makes me so happy. This makes me so yeah, happy. We uh, don't... We no, don't really it, know. Hmm. <laughs> um, I have read the news since I got back. Um, and I think the thing that's interesting is that the American public's memory of January 6th has definitely shifted. Um, I w- was listening to some um, interviews that happened right after January 6th, three years ago. So in the January 2021 period, And predominantly, you had Republicans, conservatives, evangelicals condemning what happened on January 6th. Today, we have polls out that show us that um, 25% of Americans believe that the FBI instigated it. Mm -hmm. Um, There are other um, polls that say the country is about split, like 55% Americans say January 6th, hey, that was a big deal and we should remember it and learn from it. Um, And the other half of the country is like, it's time to move on. It wasn't that big of a deal. Um, Now, anytime you're looking at polls, like obviously we're missing a ton of nuance. And I'm sure um, part of the it's time to move on crowd is probably just saying like, the best way to get past this is to move on. And, and I, there's some merit to that conversation. Um, mm-hmm. but certainly there are in that 45%, there are people who don't think it's a big deal. And, um, and that's, all. That, I don't know, that's, it's hard for me to stomach that as a security professional, because even if you take the politics out of it, that it was domestic, that it was our own people that took on the Capitol, um, if it had been anybody else, if it had been ISIS, if it had been Al Qaeda, I'm pretty sure three years later we would be holding memorials and looking at the Capitol Police as heroes and and like asking, okay, where did we go wrong from a security standpoint? How do we make sure this never happens again? And I don't feel like that's where we are as a country. And so I'm uncomfortable with what that might be telling us about ourselves. Um and and I obviously there's no way to disentangle the the domestic side of this that that, that is part of the reason that half of the country doesn't want to talk about it. But um, it, if somehow you could in your mind isolate who the perpetrators were out of the equation, what happened that day is worthy of us um, pausing and reflecting and being thankful. Uh, for those that did try to defend, um, mourning those who have been, uh, who were killed um, and who, um, uh, so many of whom were so injured that they couldn't come back to work. Um, and and at, at the very least, we, we should remember them in our prayers, right? Like that, mm-hmm. I think we can all agree on that. Um, beyond that, I think there's this unease as we move into 2024, the dynamics that led to uh, what happened on January 6th are still at play. And I don't just mean a political figure of Donald Trump believing that his election was stolen uh, or the American people believing their election was stolen. That it's, it's deeper than that, right? It's a 
lack of trust in our institutions um, and this sense that the country that I love, that I uh, feel I was a part of is no longer that same country and um, and grappling with what do we do about that? And for some, the answer was violence, right? For some, the answer is I'm going to go take it back by force. But for others of us, where that violence isn't an option, and I would say that's a good thing, um, we're still grappling with that feeling, right? And how do we how do we move forward in a constructive way when those underlying tensions are still there and, quite frankly, haven't really been addressed by our leaders? I think mm-hmm. that's where we are today, and um, and I, you know, I I'm a I'm a little nervous about what 2024 will will bring. Yeah, I want to talk with you about um, what makes you nervous in the year ahead, but I want to um, I want to settle here for just a moment. And if you're listening right now, there is a there is a question here. There's a conversation to be had here about how our memories are formed, and the memories that we in, that we reinforce by repeating a narrative. And so, what do you remember? And you could think here about any particular event. Um, you could think about the birth of your first child. What do you remember? And how do you remember it? You could, re- you could think about the death of someone you love. What do you remember and how do you remember it? How are memories formed? That is the conversation that you and I can have when we're um, talking with our neighbors or our coworkers or people across a political aisle um, about anniversaries like January 6th or September 11th or now October the 7th. We're going to have a number of um, of dates on the calendar now that are going to fall into the never forget category. Um, and so if they fall into the never forget category, that means they fall into the let us remember them list. So what do you remember and how do you remember it? And how are those memories formed? What are the narratives that are being repeated frequently enough? Um, and you are weaving those into your understanding of reality. Um, and then take a hard pause and sing to yourself, were you there when they crucified our Lord? And ask yourself, what do I remember about the day Jesus was crucified? or the the days leading up to it what what do i remember what do i remember about um the last supper what do i remember about the garden of gethsemane what do i remember about um jesus's words from the cross what do i remember about who took jesus down from the cross and where they laid him because none of us were there None of us were there when they crucified our Lord, but we remember it. And so I want you to think about today what you remember and how you remember it and how your memories are formed and what memories you are reinforcing um, and what narratives you are repeating. So we're going to continue our conversation here with Elizabeth Newman in just a moment. I'm going to ask her like how she's talking to her own kids about things like school shootings. We just talked at the end of the week about the shooting in Iowa. Um, we talked with a pastor from Perry. We talked with our friend um, um, Adam Holtz, who grew up there. 
Um, this is real, real people um, having real experiences. And then we're all sending our kids back to school. So what kinds of conversations do we have with them? How do we train them without scaring them? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Whew. I don't know about you, but I'm tired. I mean, it's a brand new year and I'm already tired. I don't just mean tired. I mean like spiritually tired, soul tired. Maybe you're struggling too. Maybe Christmas didn't all work out exactly like you thought. My friend Susie Larson wants to take us on a journey to explore God's goodness, his healing power, to know his peace that passes all understanding, to draw near to him. If you want in on that, all you have to do is text the word good to 877-933-2484. Again, you just text the word good to 877-933-2484. And every single morning, you'll get a text message from Susie Larson to wake up to the goodness of God. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Our friend Elizabeth Newman is here, in addition to being a security analyst and um, a person very, very familiar with how our nation responds to threats, both internally and externally. She's also a mom. And so, Elizabeth, um, how do we talk to our kids? How do you yeah. talk to your kids? Right. So last Friday is just one example, but you could literally pick a date on the calendar and um, somewhere in some circumstance, um, you know, people have been victim- victimized by their neighbors. And so... how? I mean, let's just take Perry, Iowa and bring it, you know, here into focus because we're all still thinking about it. But like, how do we talk to our kids about things like school shootings um, or other sort of like awareness bolo training without scaring them or us? Yeah, no, that's it's a great question. Um, the the best uh, it, counsel that I've, I've read um, from you know, psychologists and uh, is that you kind of want to treat this topic the way that we treat um, sex, which is age appropriate based on what the child is emotionally, mentally capable of handling. And you know your child and, you know, one 10 year old might be able to handle more than say another 10 year old. So there's, there's a a context here that you you need to take into account. Um, But you want to talk early and you want to talk often. So you're not trying to have uh, one big conversation and that's it. You're trying to have lots of little conversations. And in particular, you're trying to keep the door open so that your child comes to you and asks you for um, guidance and understanding when they hear things, because they will hear things, even if you're not talking about it at home. Um, you don't know what the their friends might have heard on the radio or um, heard on the TV, and uh, they bring it to school. And, and what you don't want is, um, uh, you know, the, the uninformed peer group to be the primary source, right? So, mm-hmm. um, at that elementary level, um, I, you, some of this you need to follow your school's lead because um, there, there are a couple of different approaches to how schools are handling um, active shooter training. I, I tend to prefer um, not doing the full-fledged uh, lockdown drills when they're in elementary school. Because um, it's traumatizing. 
is traumatizing. The evidence has shown that that's probably not the best way to handle it. Um, But if your school is doing that, then um, then obviously you're going to be having a different conversation um, because you're you need to be able to help them process that. And you need to, you know, be a little bit more transparent than perhaps um, if if your school is doing things a little bit differently. Like my children were in schools where um, they practiced being quiet. They practiced you know, following instruction. Uh, we were informed by the school in advance so we could talk about it beforehand. We could talk about it afterwards. By the time they get into middle school, they are starting to be a little bit more transparent. Um, and so you need to open those conversations with your children and um, and start to have a little bit more of a reality set of, you know, this is not the world I grew up in. And I think we want to be transparent with our kids about that, that we're learning too. Um, and, and I should say I'm a I'm a Gen Xer. So if you're a millennial uh, parent, um, you you might have dealt with this and have a little bit more firsthand experience to be able to relate with your kid. But for those of us who didn't, we need to be transparent that like we're still trying to figure out the best way to help kids with this um, and uh, that it didn't used to be this way. And we we w- hope with all of our hearts that we can find a way out of this. But for now, we need to keep you safe. And the best way to do that is to learn how to, uh, um, you know, run, fight, uh, hide, or sorry, uh, run, hide, fight. And that's that's the simple way to, um, that most schools, the framework that most schools are using. But the, the important thing is know what your school's teaching and how they're framing it. You can help reinforce um, at the beginning, uh, before they go through one of those drills and after, and just keep the lines of communication open. Um, you know, I remember having a conversation with my kids outside of the school context, and I don't, it was one of those moments where it was just he- weighing heavy on me, and we were walking into a large store. And mm-hmm. I just kind with, like, you know, if mom ever uses that really sharp voice, like, you know, you're about to run onto the street, and I tell you don't. Um, you know that sound, right? And they're like, yes, you know, they've heard me, you know, yell at them before. <laughs> so, um, you know, if I have to use that voice in the store, there's a really good reason for it. And it's really important that you obey me. Um, and you can't ask questions in the moment. You just you just have to obey. Do you understand? And and so I have kids that like to ask a lot of questions. So I'd rather have them ask right, those no- questions. And those words might be get down now or run, right? I mean, like, right, those might be the words. And so I do see this is really good. This is this this part right here is really helpful to each of us and all of us, because one part of that is your family having had some conversation about how you're going to communicate if you get separated. And like, is there a place that we're going to like, we think about this when we go to giant theme parks and we're like, okay, if somehow we get separated, we're all going to reconvene, you know, right here at the big egg or the what the big whatever, right? Like you can find this big thing and we're going to, when we're going to reconvene right here, if you, or there's the, if you, if I'm not there, you sit down and you stay right there. Well, that council may not hold up today. Like we might need like places where our kids know to go versus staying right where they are because that might not be the safest thing to do. Like I, it's, it's way more complex than it was when we were little and I'm older than you. So um, I just think these are conversations, like you said, keep the, keep the lines of communication open. I want to be the person that my kids and grandkids um, 
can talk with about anything, they, the person that they bring their questions to. And I love this this way you're approaching it when you say, like, look, I don't know everything. I'm still learning, too. Let's let's think together about what the best response is going to be or where we're going to reconvene and huddle up. And I don't know all of that language, but I'm but I want to learn it. And I want to add here that for some children, um, either because of their um you know, past family history or or perhaps have been um, exposed to violence in some form or fashion, uh, as well as just certain personality types, this conversation can be a lot. So if you think your child needs help, don't hesitate. Like it's not a, it's, it's not a shameful thing <laughs> to need some uh, professional counseling to help you process and develop uh, better coping mechanisms. Um, mm-hmm. We have an epidemic of um, mental health crisis in our uh, uh, tween and teen uh, girls, especially. So um, this this probably is not the topic that's going to be the one thing that leads to that um, uh, challenge for your child. But if they're if they're that personality type that's overly anxious, you you might just keep an eye on them. You know, when a new story comes up, and uh, or you guys have a conversation, or there's a, a drill at school don't just don't hesitate to ask for help. It's so much easier to intervene early than it is um, uh, once the problem has really uh, been uh, kind of inset. So um, that that would be my other encouragement is if you feel like, you know, you've done what you've read on the, you know, there's some good resources out there on how to talk to your kids um, and you've done that and your child is still struggling, just please ask for help because that's uh, it's better to to address that pretty early on and not let it become a fixation. I could say Sandy Hook. I could say Uvalde. I could say Covenant. Um, there are lots of kids out there, um, different ages and stages of life, for whom these are this is the the primary memory that they have of school, um, and. They never outgrow that, and they never outgrow their need um, to to talk about it um, and to process through it. And grief and guilt um, and shame and all kinds of things, in addition to fear, grow over time and evolve over time. And so um, if you're a person listening right now, and this has stirred up um, for you, um, you know, just a recognition that you've got some unprocessed grief or guilt or fear in relationship to something you experienced like this as a child. Um, we want to we wanna be quick to say, um, you need to talk to somebody. Talk to your pastor. Talk to a parent or grandparent. Talk to um, a friend, but recognize that they might not have um, all the resources that are going to be needed. And so um, find a good Christian counselor and if you need help doing that, um, let us know. Like, we're, we're here to help each other work our way um, through all of this. All right, we got to leave it right there. Elizabeth, thank you so much um, for joining us today. We look forward to the conversations that we're going to have over the course of this next year. Thank you, Carmen. Happy New Year yeah. to all. Happy New Year and blessings. Um, we're praying with you and for you about the, uh, the, the publication of your book. So I haven't forgotten oh. about that. I know. Thank you. I haven't forgotten. I haven't forgotten. I haven't forgotten that's out there on the horizon. All right. That's Elizabeth Newman. You can find her um, at the Moonshot Group. You can find her at moonshotteam.com. She's also on Twitter. Um, You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, on my prayer list, um, 
I have added this uh, just in the last few days. I was not aware on December the 21st, Pastor Garrett Kell, he's a pastor in Arlington, Virginia. A lot of people know him. He's a published author. He and his wife have just incredible, um, wonderful ministry couple. They've got six kids. I think, I think that Eden is their oldest child. I know that she's 15. And on December 21st, she started having seizures. I mean, inexplicably. They were visiting uh, friends in Richmond, Virginia. She started having seizures. Um, They called 911. Um, Eden has been in the pediatric ICU since then. Um, part, uh, Part of that time in an induced coma. They still have not diagnosed the underlying cause. Um, and, you know, she's been feverish. She's had brain swelling. You can imagine all of the things. You can also imagine um, what it was like over Christmas to uh, be a pastor who um, I'm sure, I'm sure was conflicted about where he should be. But he has, um, uh, he's been with Eden, as has his his wife, uh, Eden's mom, Carrie. Others in the congregation have been caring for their other six kids. I just want to lift up prayers today for the Kell family um, and just come before the Lord together and say, God, grant grace. Just grant your grace, whatever that looks like, whatever that means. You are a good, good God, and we trust you. And so with so many others, we lift up Eden Kell today, and we lift up Garrett, and we lift up Carrie, we lift up all their other kids. We lift up their congregation. Father, um, grant your grace. David Dockery is going to join us next, and we're going to talk about what it means to be created in the image of God and how that practically works itself out. Um, The implication of that for our cultural confusion today. If you look around and the world says, hey, you, um, you know, you are just a, an accident of some combination of chemistry and primordial ooze and time and chance, like, you know, you, you make who you are. Um, that has consequences. It also has consequences if you believe that God conceived of you before the foundations of the earth, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God intentionally knit you together in your mother's womb, that he has a purpose for your life, that moment by moment, God is concerned about your flourishing. Created in the image of God, applications and implications for our cultural confusion. David Dockery joins us next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right. Uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation with Dr. David Dockery for some time. The book is created in the image of God. He's a co-editor, along with our friend Lauren McAfee. Um, David is the president of Southwestern Seminary in Dallas, Texas. He also serves there as a distinguished professor. He has served formerly as the president of Union University and Trinity Evangelical Seminary. He's the author and editor of more than 40 books um, and the president of the Alliance, International Alliance for Christian Education. And this book grew out of their conference in 2022. He also heads up the Dockery Center for Global Evangelical Theology. David, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. It's a joy to be with you today. I, I just this is this conversation already delights me. Um, I want to talk with you today, maybe less as a seminary president and less as a guy who has um, written or edited forty books. And I want to talk with you as a husband, a father, and a grandfather. 
So um, you've got how many grandkids? Seven. And they range in age from what to what? Seven to 14. Perfect. Okay. So I, I want to talk to that guy today. Can I talk to that guy um, trying to explain, you know, to a seven to 14 year old, let's say grandpa, <clears throat> like what, what is the image of God? Yeah. Well, being created in the image of God first sounds like it's something physical that, uh, you know, like, like we look like uh, God in some physical capacity, but all you have to do is look around at uh, humanity and see the great variety in God's creation. We're short, tall, uh, different sizes. We we have different appearances. So that's not what we're talking about when we talk about the image of God. It's something deeper uh, than that. And it's not a particular aspect of us. It's not like we can say, here's your hand, here's your foot, you know, here's your heart, here's your nose, here's your ears, and here's the image of God. It's that all of us, all of us individually, and frankly, all of us corporately, all of humanity, created in the image of God. And thus, we have dignity and worth because God has designed us as he has desired us to be. And we have relational capacities. We can relate to God. We can relate to one another. You and I can have this conversation today and understand each other. We can communicate together. All of that is because of this marvelous gift that God has given to us, creating us in the image of God. It makes us distinct from all the rest of God's creation. Or it is not true of the plants or the animals uh, or any other aspect of God's beautiful creation. It is only true of humans that he has made us in his image. He de describes that from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, those passes, passages, verses 26 through 28, and there we learn of God's special purpose design uh, for uh, men and women. And it's important that we understand that it's not just for men or not just for women, but for men and women created in God's image. That's so good. And that's a very satisfying answer, um, you know, to me as a believer. Um, so you're, you may not be there yet. I'm 14. <clears throat> 14 may not, not yet be the stage of, hmm, <laughs> grandpa. Um, I know a lot of people who don't believe that. So can you can you talk with us um, about the reality that although that is a very satisfying answer to me as a believer, not everyone around me sees it this way or believes it. This is a truth, the truth that you are talking about, about the image of God, about God and his creation, his goodness, male and female. This truth, these truths are actively being suppressed. Can you can you talk with us about not only the devastating personal but also societal peril that we're in because people have adopted an alternative worldview to the one you've just described? Well, it's <clears throat> the Bible is very clear that not only are we created in the image of God, uh, but that men and women also rejected. Uh, God's truth, and we've rejected uh, God's revelation to us. He has manifested himself uh, to us from the very beginning. 
Uh, and because of that, we are uh, confused in how we understand the world. We interpret it uh, wrongly. We interpret it from our vantage point, from a uh, human-centric perspective rather than from a God-centric uh, perspective. And thus, we get things turned upside down and and inside out, and it creates uh, restlessness and uh, confusion. We want to try to describe everything on the basis of empirical evidence on how we can, what we can see, what we can observe. And uh, we're talking about something in the image of God that is actually deeper than something that can be observed unless you understand it within God's framework. Uh, and so be- because of the entrance of sin uh, into the world, we have a skewed uh, understanding. Sometimes we have a very shallow understanding of sin. Um, we understand that it's something, maybe we do something wrong. We've uh, broken one of, you know, a, a rule or broken one of God's expectations for us. But it's much deeper than uh, merely separating us from God, as serious as that is. But it actually has turned all aspects of God's design in his world uh, upside down. And so it Mm. has broken relationships with others. It has broken relationships with God's creation. And it has broken relationships with ourselves. The reason so many of us live in states of anxiety and fear and confusion is because of of sin. These are all manifestations of that in our uh, lives because our relationship with ourselves as well as our relationship with others is as uh, messed up as is our relationship with God. And so I think we have to help people understand that uh, particularly uh, children uh, growing up in the church, growing up in Christian homes, as is the case with my uh, grandchildren, uh, but who are exposed to a radically different concept in culture of the impact of sin upon the world and help them navigate to that uh, by always calling them back to Scripture, helping them to use the Bible as the lens through which to see and understand life. Created in the Image of God, Applications and Implications for Our Cultural Confusion. We're talking with Dr. David Dockery. He's the co-editor of this book. He's also the president of Southwestern Seminary in Dallas, Texas, among a range of other things. And he's a husband, he is a father, he is a grandfather. And so um, I didn't want you to think that this was just a smarty pants seminary book. This is a book that is going to help you um, re-engage the reality that God has created you in his image um, and that he has created every other person in his image. That has profound implications, not only for how we see ourselves, but how we see everyone else and the challenges um, that we face each and every day, challenges of disability or technology or race, um, on and on and on. So we're going to talk about what it looks like to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ, how Christ plays into this, how the Holy Spirit plays into this, and what the um, image of God, what significance that has 
for living in the cultural conversations of this day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Jesus loves the little children. You guys know that. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. And right now, there are little children in the world who need Jesus. They also need things like basic food and medical care. Jesus tells us that what we do for the least of these, the little ones, we do for him. So this is your time to become the champion of one child, to change their life. When you sponsor just one child, you plant seeds of hope, and you work together with people who are on the ground to change the families, the communities, the future. You might not feel like you could change the world, but you can for one child. Meet the kids and find your child at MyFaithRadio.com. We're talking with David Dockery. You can uh, find him at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and, uh, and lots of other places. You can certainly find him at the International Alliance for Christian Education. The book we're talking about today grows out of that effort, created in the image of God. Um, and then what does that look like in terms of its application and implications for our cultural confusion? David, before we um, jump back into the book, what is the International Alliance for Christian Education? Yeah, thank you so much for asking. The International Alliance for Christian Education was actually formed January of 2000, so we're beginning our fifth year. It's an alliance or a network that uh, seeks to bring together uh, like-minded Christian institutions, particularly colleges, universities, and seminaries, uh, but also some K-12 through entities, gap year programs as well. These are uh, institutions that are serious about distinctive Christ-centered education and understand that uh, providing education that is grounded in Scripture and the Christian tradition looks quite different than the secular uh, education that is being rolled out, uh, not only in public schools or public colleges and universities, but in many private uh, schools as well. So we, we have banded together to attempt to unify, strengthen, and synergize our work uh, to share best ideas and practices, uh, to develop faculty, next generation of leaders, and to connect with what God is doing around the globe. That's the first word in our name. So international, we're global, an alliance, a network, and very serious about uh, distinctive Christ-centered education. Uh, We have about 80 institutions and about 29 partners uh, in this country and uh, several around the the world. And uh, we're very excited about uh, what God has done to bring this together and very hopeful about the future. That's awesome. Um, If you want to know more, I'm happy to send you the direct link. I-A-C-E. So I-A-C-E would be one way of thinking about that. International Alliance for Christian Education, I-A-C-E dot education i-a-c-e dot education if you want the direct link i'm happy to send it to you they do have a, an annual conference it's coming up february 7 to 9 we'll be praying for you um in the midst of that as you host that on um, the campus of your seminary there uh in dallas texas or i guess technically fort worth, thank you but that's a, that's okay yeah. dallas fort worth this most is- of us just think of it as like a, a region of the world we don't think of it as distinct cities so there you uh, go that's fine 
Yeah, we understand okay. this book actually grew out of a, a, a conference here in 2022. And uh, th- that is so uh, we, we brought all these things together so we could address these very significant issues and important questions of our society for today. Well, and that's what I want to jump back into. All right. So the image of God, we understand it as this biblical concept. We even understand it interpersonally in our relationships with one another. I guess there's this sort of like, is this still true today? Is every person made today still made in the image of God? I mean, what about people who are, you know, now being, quote, made through technology? Are those people made in the image of God? Um, How does sin, how do disabilities affect our view of this? Can you jump into a few of these conversations um, that are addressed in the book? Yeah, I think it's very important to understand that uh, answering this question about the image of God helps us answer some of the big questions in our culture today about what it means to be human. I mean, that 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 is a, a question that uh, many people did not think we would have to uh, be answering. But in light of transhumanism and the development of robots and artificial intelligence, um, we have to answer that question of what does it mean to be uh, human? And then what does it mean to be male? What does it mean to be female? And do we exist with you know, within a body, is a body a part of who we are, or, or is the, the flesh completely irrelevant and we're, and we're nothing but an immaterial uh, being, or is the flesh all that there is and there's really no such thing as the immaterial soul or, or spirit? And so delving into this question of the uh, image of God helps us answer these very timely, uh, pressing uh, issues of our day. I mean, we recently, uh, uh, Senate recently elected the ninth member to the Supreme Court who had a who had a difficult time in front of the Senate answering the question, what does it mean to be a woman? Mm-hmm. And so the, these are not irrelevant questions or hypothetical questions for a graduate seminar. These are very real questions for uh, our life and for the time in which we live. Well, thank you, um, not only for the conversation today and for the book, Created in the Image of God, Applications and Implications for Our Cultural Confusion. Um, Thank you for what you're doing at the International Alliance for Christian Education. There's going to be a lot of folks listening for whom that is brand new information and great hope. So um, we will fan the flame of that as well. And I hope you'll come back. I hope you'll come back. I mean, I just, I, I don't mind, my audience will... Um, they will hear this in, and they will understand it. I hope you will hear and receive it. You, you're just one of those people out there in the world. I just love. I love your passion for Jesus. I love the way you teach the scriptures. I love your willingness to step into hard places um, at difficult times and be a, an honest, measured, godly um, leader. Um, I appreciate what you write and obviously the way that you think about things, but I, I genuinely appreciate how you are engaging with the real, like, ground-level concerns that we have out here in the real world. Um, so I, I hope you can receive that in the way that it is offered um, and just really appreciate your time with us today. Thank you so much, Karen. God bless you. Well, likewise, that's uh, David Dockery. He is, among other things, the co- co-editor of Created in the Image of God. You can find him at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. You can also 
find him um, directly at the International Alliance for Christian Education. And I'd like to be fanning the flame of that effort. So check it out. I-A-C-E dot education. Um, All right. We are almost out of time today. So as we head out there into the world that God so loves, let's do so in ways that honor Jesus. And in order to do that, we're going to need to get ourselves into the Word of God. So where in the Word are you today? Critical question every single day. Where in the Word are you today? Let's get ourselves into the Word of God that the Word of God might get into us that as we get out there into the world that God so loves, we would do so in ways that would honor Jesus. That other people, I mean, yeah, they're going to see us, but more importantly, are they going to see Jesus? Let your light so shine before others today that, yes, they would see your good works, but not glorify you and me, that they would glorify God who is in heaven. That's what we want, right? That's what we want. We want to be people who are image bearers of the living God, who are cooperating with the Holy Spirit at work within us, moment by moment, submitting to the Spirit's work, bringing us into greater conformity with who Christ is. Why? For what purpose? That other people might come to know Him. I hope that's your heart's desire today as a follower of Jesus. May you walk with Him in ways that honor and glorify His name. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.